shark, swallow you whole. I value my neck a lot more than 3,000 bucks, Chief. Find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for ten. Ten thousand dollars for me by myself. For that you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. You yell shark, we've got a pile on our hands on the 4th of July. Mr. Vaughn, Mr. Vaughn, I pulled a tooth the size of a shot glass out of the wreck hull of the boat out there, and it was the tooth of a great white. A what? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Love to prove that, wouldn't you? Get your name into the National Geographic. Now, I'm not saying that this is not the shark. It probably is, Martin. It probably is. It's a man-eater. It's extremely rare for these waters. But the fact is that the bite radius on this animal is different than the wounds on the victim. Once again, in the Jaws Obsession, where we are here to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. Thank you very much, everyone, for returning. As always, busy here, but never, never too busy to dive back into the Jaws Obsession and talk about our favorite movie of all time. Also, I'd like to say welcome to all the new listeners that we have. The numbers have definitely spiked in the last month. We have many new listeners to the Jaws Obsession, and I'd like to welcome each and every one of you, and it's great to have everyone on board, increasing our bubble of what we are trying to do here. So welcome back. This is episode 54, The John Williams Effect. What genre of movie does Jaws fall into? Horror, drama, action, adventure? How about all three? Are the clues to answering this found in the original score of the movie, composed and conducted by John Williams? I believe it is, and in this episode, we will go over this completely. We're going to get right down to it, and we're going to see once again that Jaws does something that no other film has ever done or could ever do, and that is very exciting here. So hopefully we'll get to a new realization at the end of this episode. I have been very preoccupied with what we've had weather problems up here in upstate New York, so I've been busy at work, also trying to push the Book of Quint into a wider publication. That takes up extra time, so the spaces between Jaws Obsession episodes has grown, but that's all right because the time that we are in the Jaws Obsession has grown with it. What we are going to be doing is we are going to be investing more time here. So maybe if you were used to the 30 to 40 minute Jaws Obsession episodes, maybe this could be two episodes jam-packed into one and you can spread that out for your week. Uh, We have a jam-packed episode here. We have a lot to get to in this episode. So I'm going to divide this episode into three parts. Uh, We have part one, 
uh, we have some notes to go over, uh, and uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to get to some great reviews uh, in the emails that have been coming in. Reviews of the Book of Quint, very exciting. Energy is just it's palpable right now. It's growing as people are finishing the book and they're telling their friends, they're telling their family, they're getting on social media. Very exciting because we're seeing we only have 25 left over at the Cracked Bean Roastery and Cafe. I'll get to more of that later, but you can always find a book there if you go to the link in the description of this broadcast that you are listening on. Still time to get one of the limited edition 300 hardcover copies of the Book of Quint. In part two, what we're going to do is we're going to break down the elements of a horror movie. Uh, the scary movie genre, and um, does Jaws really fit into that, or does it not fit into that? We're going to get down into the mechanics of what goes into that genre, where similarities between uh, the different movies that are in the horror film genre. And then in part three, we're going to be using notes and interviews by both John Williams and Steven Spielberg, while at the same time we're going to take examples from Jaws and listen to the score of John Williams, from certain scenes in Jaws and see if we can reach a definitive answer. What genre does Jaws fall into? Very exciting. It's great to be back. It's great to be back here after over a year of broadcasting the Jaws obsession. The listenership has grown to the point where we have moved up in the global rankings, rallying, almost rallying everybody around this concept of an expanded Jaws universe. As always, thank you for your time. One of the announcements here was that the Jaws Obsession has moved up in the global rankings over at listennotes.com. The listen score jumped a great deal, and we are now in the top 3% of podcasts. We've been given a listen score of 34. It says that this podcast is one of the top 3% most popular shows out of 3,029,794 podcasts globally. Ranked by Listen Score, the estimated popularity score. So after I do my math, that's 90,000. The Jaws Obsession is one of the top 90,000 podcasts in the world. And this all happened in the last month, in the month of January, following the Marty, the classic Marty Milner interview that was episode 50. You could actually see it. What I can monitor here from my software is I can monitor only downloads. I cannot monitor streams. But what happens is you can see those numbers, uh, they jumped after, after episode 50, right before New Year's. So the last four episodes, we've seen the most participation and the most downloads ever uh, for the show. So the word is out. The Jaws Obsession is doing something different that not many other podcasts or other shows have done. So top 3% in the world globally as a podcast as an audio broadcast is quite the accomplishment, and it's a testament to the faithful following that Jaws fans have. Okay, that um, I I look around, I see what other movies have. I see the Back to the Future podcast. I see the Godfather, and we are only a couple notches behind those those shows. This started out small, but it is gaining in popularity because Jaws is just a popular movie. And that's what's exciting. So everyone out there that's listening, I thank you all for helping us boost our profile by talking about it, posting on it, uh, like, comment, share, and subscribe to the broadcast on whatever podcast platform or broadcast platform you're listening on. And at the same time, you're submitting great reviews, five-star ratings on Amazon, five-star ratings on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. 
as well as the written reviews, some great words coming in. I, I want to thank everyone for that, that our bubble is increasing. And that is only going to help our overall cause here is to prove that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. And we are doing that with the Book of Quint and the uh, trying to... Uh, persuade the publishing world as well as the uh, studio system that the greatest movie of all time deserves new material, deserves an expanded Jaws universe, and that can be done with the Book of Quint, which is very exciting. Over at JawsOB.com, at the main website there, if you scroll down, you can see that live window from Listen Notes, and it's always showing where we actually sit on our Listen score and the global rankings. Top 3%. So everybody, thank you. That's th that's great news. Okay, where are, where are we here? Let's go to, I did not get to in the last episode, is that I also appeared on another show. I had an interview with author and movie critic Phil Hall on his radio broadcast, uh, nutmegchatter.com. His radio broadcast of Nutmeg Chatter went out, I think, around the Connecticut area and other areas on uh, terrestrial radio, but it is available on SoundCloud and also at the nutmegchatter.com website. It was great. The episode, I appeared on episode 282 in search of Captain Quint. In this episode, Phil Hall interviews Ryan Daco, host of the Jaws Obsession podcast and author of the Book of Quint, a prequel to Jaws. It's about a 30-minute interview for anyone that wants to go over there and give a listen. Phil Hall was a uh, critic for Film Threat Magazine. He was behind some really great reviews of my earlier work back in the mid-2000s when I had a film, an independent filmmaking company. So it was great to catch up with Phil on his show. So let's listen here. I'm sort of dating myself, but one of my favorite uh, Jaws-related media was a song called Mr. Jaws. It was a novelty song. I think it came out in the summer of 76. You're laughing, so I think you know what I'm talking about. And I'm always interested in in little pop culture references like that, that uh, where society, uh, where, where those things were drummed up, because uh, that to me is the impact that Jaws made on our culture. Yeah, I was born in 1978. So my first experience with Jaws was Jaws 2 when I saw it on HBO as a uh, in grade school. And so I saw Jaws almost as a prequel to Jaws 2. If you can if that makes sense because of the rental system back in the 80s. So I would beg my uh, my dad, hey, uh, my, uh, could you please go and rent Jaws because I really like sharks and all that and he I remember he went to uh, rent the VHS. He brought it back, and I was watching Jaws for the first time. And I now everything explained who was Brody because Brody's uh, Roy Scheider's in Jaws two, and the and the divers on the orca at the beginning of Jaws two. Now I knew as a prequel, this is what Jaws is. Oh, okay. Now this is explaining what this why this cop was so afraid of a shark because he had a run in with this shark, and that mentality kind of uh, formed me into. Wow, the Book of Quint is a prequel to Jaws. So that's the whole thing is I'm looking at the weight of the issue as I was looking at it back in the 80s when I first saw Jaws 2 and then saw Jaws as a prequel. So so that's from uh, that's from Nutmeg Chatter, episode 282, In Search of Captain Quint. That is, uh, I will post a link to that in the description of this broadcast in uh, on whatever, on, on the platform you're listening on. And you can just go down and click on that link and listen to the full interview. But what was really interesting there is I don't get a chance to talk about that that much about the um, of how I saw Jaws 2 first before Jaws. And that formed my viewing of Jaws as I saw Jaws as a prequel. 
I didn't see Jaws 2 as a sequel. So I was fascinated with Jaws 2 out of the gate. So, so I saw Jaws as filling in all the holes that I did not know, the background information that I did not know while watching Jaws 2 as a youngster in the early 80s. Now, that leads, that's where when the Book of Quint, when we talk about a prequel to Jaws, I'm using that same mentality of what did I discover when I watched Jaws as a prequel to Jaws 2. If you can look at that mentality, I, that's how I wrote the novel, The Book of Quint, discovering different elements that add to the story of Jaws. As we expand the Jaws universe going forward, we are going to keep Jaws 2 into that equation. Jaws 2 stars Roy Scheider, so we have Brody in there, and it's an exceptional performance I always liked his performance as Brody there. We're going to talk about Jaws 2 a little bit later in this episode as well because it also shows what it's lacking that Jaws had, and that's why it didn't match up. It didn't really have the gravitas that uh, Jaws has because it's lacking something. But what Jaws 2 brought to the equation was it showed us more of the island. It gave, it gave us more visual references so we could flesh out a map of Amity Island. And that's how that map came about in my mind that's in the Book of Quint that Jaws 2 mainly takes place on the eastern side of the island, especially that east coast. Anyone that has the Book of Quint, if you go to your map section, you can actually see there's that, there, that, that east side of the island where Cable Junction is. The introduction of Cable Junction and all that, that's, that's ways, there's a lot, a lot takes place in the Book of Quint over on that eastern side of Amity Island. And that's where Jaws 2 takes place. And that's what Jaws 2 gave us. It gave us more of the picture of Amity Island by giving us visual references. So we can't negate Jaws 2. Now Jaws 3 and 4, those mainly, by and large, take place away from Amity Island. So what you have is you can take those and you can dismiss those this is what I'm going to do going forward as expanding the Jaws universe. We're going to look at Book of Quint, then Jaws, then Jaws 2, and then what comes after that. We actually can build on the momentum that the Book of Quint, Jaws, and Jaws 2 have. If you slap, if you put them all together, more doors open up, more characters open up, and bigger things will happen. And a lot of that is established in the Book of Quint. To all the folks that are reading it now, you'll see what I'm talking about. So anyone that wants to listen to that full interview, you go right to the link in the description of this show. So thank you. I want to thank Phil Hall again for letting me come on his show and to talk about Jaws and the Book of Quint. All right, let's move on to the emails. The emails that have been coming in have been wonderful, and I want to thank everyone for taking the time to write to the Jaws Obsession. You can write me here at jawsob2025 at gmail.com. And I want to read a few of them here at this point. Kevin writes in from Texas. Mr. Daco, Jaws has been my favorite movie for the last 38 years. I couldn't begin to tell you how many viewings I have had. This wonderful gift you have given the Jaws community has forever changed the way I see the film, even the deleted scenes. Thank you for your time and effort and sacrifices you made to share this with us. To celebrate my completion of your novel, I have I am having a drink with our favorite captain. We drink to Mr. Daco and to our legs. Thank you. And that's from Kevin in Texas. Mineral Wells, or is it Mineral Wells? Where is he from? Yeah, Mineral Wells, Texas. Kevin, thank you so much for writing in. And he included a photo of his book of Quint sitting next to the bottle of apricot brandy and a Captain Quint mug. And that's great. What a great photo. I included that over on our Instagram page. 
If you go to Instagram at Book of Quint, you can see the apricot brandy sitting next to the Book of Quint in front of the Captain Quint mug. The Captain Quint Stein was that that's, that doesn't qualify as a Stein, right? Well, how about the our German listeners? I think it needs the it needs the lid on it, right? Because that's when they dance around, they close the lid so the beer doesn't fly out. At least that's described to me by uh, Tommy Schuster back in the United States Coast Guard. He was a, a fellow electronics technician, and uh, he described to me what a uh, the purpose of the lid on a Stein was because there's a lot of dancing that goes around during Oktoberfest. Uh, is that true, or was I think it is? Uh, what we have is we had Kevin saying that Jaws has been his favorite movie for the last 38 years and that the Book of Quint changed the way he sees the film, even the deleted scenes on the film. If everybody has the Blu-ray or DVD, you can find the deleted scenes. Even on YouTube now, you can find the deleted scenes. And, and I know which, which ones he's talking about are the interactions between Herschel West was the local fisherman that Steven Spielberg loved the look of, and he cast him. When she told Sherry Rhodes to get that guy, I need him for the movie, and he put him in as Quint's sidekick. And what I did was create Herschel Salvatore, the character. He's a major part in the book of Quint. So you actually see those scenes in a different light now after you read the novel. So great to see. Thanks so much, Kevin, for the review and for writing in. The book is taking on a life of its own, and this is uh, this is very apparent apparent in even the next email that I have here from Joel. Uh, Joel writes in, hello, Ryan. I apologize for my delayed review of the book of Quint. It took me some time to organize my thoughts into words. As a lifelong fan of the film Jaws, your novel more than delivers as a companion piece to one of Spielberg's greatest works. It has far exceeded all of my expectations, and I cannot recommend it enough. I sincerely hope that it sees continued printing and a film adaptation in the near to immediate future. Uh, coming from a family with a long and rich tradition of hunting and fishing, watching the film Jaws at a young age had the complete opposite desired effect on me. Instead of fearing the water and everything under it, I became obsessed. I am studied in the field of natural resource management, and I spend my summers diving to the bottom of lakes in northern Wisconsin to remove aquatic invasive species and engage in underwater habitat restoration. Uh, his next part of the email had some spoilers here, which um, I won't get into. But what he includes is he includes that he said the book reminded him of when he was driving with his father past a scrapyard and they found a fishing boat that had undergone years of severe abuse and neglect. But what was once probably a source of happy memories and family outings had been gutted and junked by for scrap aluminum. We spent the entire summer breathing new life into the derelict craft, turning his dreamboat into a reality. By no means is it a commercial fishing vessel or a workboat, but it fits the bill for pleasure boating and day sailing. This wasn't the first boat I've refurbished, but it won't be the last. I'll always cherish the memories of its restoration with my father figure customizing it to his needs to pursue the largest fish on the water. Keep up the great work, Joel from Wisconsin. And Joel sent a number of photos of this old vessel that they found and he, they fixed it up and restored it, and now it's sitting at the water. There's details of what's going on with that in the Book of Quint that Joel attached to. That is what is amazing about books in general. As an author, you write the novel. If it's written true and the story has passion inside it, each reader will find different elements, and they will read it in a different light. So this book will mean many different things to many different people. 
very exciting to start seeing that come into fruition, to start seeing that to be brought into a reality through these emails and these reviews of the early readers of the Book of Quint. And Joel, I want to thank you so much for sharing this boat restoration project with me, but also for your kind words about the Book of Quint. Some of the refrains that I see in these reviews is, it far exceeded all of my expectations. That is what I always wanted to do was because I know how much Jaws means to myself. And so I assumed that I would have had the highest expectations for that as well. So I want you all to have the highest expectations for what is this novel, The Book of Quint. And when you read it, it's great to see when when folks are reading it with those expectations and then they're 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 writing to me saying that, that it blew them out of the water. That is the best triumph right there. That our movie Jaws is being taken care of with this prequel. Thank you so much Joel for writing in and for your review and for sponsoring the book of Quint at this early stage in the game. Let's go with two more emails here. Two more. Miss Robin was a uh, campaign backer during the Indiegogo campaign and also was the winner of our uh, Brody Kitchen Calendar Contest. And that was done uh, back on episode 44. Robin writes in, Hi Ryan, I just finished the Book of Quint. I've been trying to go slow because I didn't want it to end. And now that I have, I'm going to have to go back and read it again. What an absolutely incredible book. I've never read anything like it. And I've read a lot. I was completely immersed from the first sentence. The writing is so amazingly vivid. Sometimes a scene from the book will pop into my head and it will take me a minute to remember if it was a movie I'd seen or a book I'd read because the images are so clear. I want to stop right there. That is great to hear because there's a lot more that went into the book of Quint in regards to style and structure in order to paint you, the reader, a picture. And that's where my con I'm continuing to do research into this area, but in many ways, that's where the uh, writings uh, and the, the writing of Ernest Hemingway influenced me greatly in that if you are able to show, not tell, show the story to the reader, and then you supply the reader with enough information, then, the, then, then what you do is that you fill in those gaps with your imagination and it becomes real to you. I would love to talk about, maybe we should start doing a Book of Quint offshoot episodes of the Jaws Obsession, because I would love to get into more of this. If, if everyone is interested, if you guys, if everyone writes in and lets me know, if you want to hear more of the writing details, um, we, and, um, because w there's going to be spoilers, I'd have to talk about spoilers and such, uh, we could probably do Jaws Obsession episodes with a big spoiler warning where we'll just be talk about the Book of Quint because the writing, there's so much more that went on into how the book is presented to you in order to get this reaction that Robin zeroed in on is that she said the writing is so amazingly vivid and sometimes she, that Robin thinks that she will think of a scene from the book and she will wonder if it was, if it was in the movie or if it was in the book, if it was in a book that she read because the images are so clear to her and that's it. And there's, there's a specific way of giving enough information, but not over telling the information. And then you know when to hold back a little bit. So then the reader puts the rest of the pieces together. Jaws fans are very, very smart. If you think Jaws is the greatest movie of all time, you have, there's, there's something 
that that you have seen something in the movie that's not there, but you know it is there. And that's what's going on is that you're filling in gaps. So if you are a fan of Jaws, you are seeing like an outsider, seeing the partial picture and filling in those gaps yourself. And that's what the book of Quint does. And Robin zeroed in on that. So let's continue on with her review here. She also says, uh, quote, I fell in love with Herschel. What a beautiful soul and what a poignant, unique narrator for his part of the book. The way you use the story to answer questions about and flesh out details from the movie was such a delight. Putting the puzzle pieces together, Quint's story broke my heart, inspired me, and filled me with such admiration for the courage of the men of the Indianapolis. Congratulations on a truly marvelous book. It's such a gift to Jaws fans, but I think readers who know absolutely nothing of Jaws will be enthralled by it as well. If Universal has an ounce of sense, they will get started on the film as soon as possible, and I can't wait to watch it in a few years. Thank you so much for writing it, and thank you to your family for supporting you in doing it. I'm so grateful to have had the chance to read it, and I can't wait to see what happens next with the book. All the best, Robin. Robin, thank you so much for that great review. Wow, wow, these are great. This is just wonderful to see. Uh, she fell in love with Herschel. I also, uh, my heart breaks for Herschel. Trust me, I just, I didn't want to leave the little guy. Because if you, if you, after you read the book of Quint and then you watch Jaws, the ending of Jaws is that much more heartbreaking because you're going, wow, what, what, now what was it like when Herschel found out? What, what was going through his head? There's all these little things that you want to know more. And, uh, yeah, my heart still breaks for him. He had such a, he had such a hard life uh, growing up on Amity. And as it's detailed in the book, Herschel brings the human side to the story of Quint. Because Quint is so larger than life, we needed a Herschel because Herschel represents all of us as we observe Quint. It's one of those guys, it's just like you just want to be his friend, you know. And I've watched, I watched uh, interviews with Herschel West, the, the fisherman, the gentleman that lived his entire life on Martha's Vineyard who played Herschel as Quint's sidekick in the movie Jaws. And you just want to kind of go over there and talk to him, especially after, after hearing about what Herschel went through. Robin also mentioned in her review, she's now reading Indianapolis by Lynn Vincent and Sarah Vladek, which she's reading because she had to know more. Yeah, so the, there's so many books out there. And actually, Indianapolis was one of the books that, one of the eight books I read on the USS Indianapolis in my research phase for the Book of Quint. And uh, yes, Lynn Vincent and Sarah Vladek, they have, they had it, they did a great job. That book is, but if you'll see, and Robin, you'll know what I'm talking about. That book is gigantic. It's something like, what is that, like 800 pages? And it is the entire story, the entire story of the USS Indianapolis. And it is bro broken down between um, all the evidence and the first and firsthand accounts. But also they write in a third person narrative, almost writing as it would be displayed in novel form, which is really interesting stuff. There was a lot of background information that I was able to use to stage the scenes in regards to the rescue operation with the PBY Catalina landing. Uh, when Quint's in the water and how all the, the sailors are rushing to get out of the water. Details like that. Uh, that book was priceless in allowing me to find details where um, I needed to put myself right in the water with those survivors. So if anyone's also interested, uh, the book is called Indianapolis. It's by Lynn Vincent and Sarah Vladek. After you read the book of Quint, definitely 
go read that because you'll get you'll get even more of the story. You'll see the entire history of what happened, not just during and the sinking of the Indianapolis, but in the years following the sinking of the Indianapolis. Yeah, and uh, and great words, just just a great review. Thank you so much, Robin, for writing in and for supporting this book in the way you have. And there Robin throws the gauntlet down with Universal. She says, if Universal has an ounce of sense, they will get started on the film as soon as possible. Isn't that the truth? So we, we have a lot of energy building for everyone. That's all we have to do. All we have to do is get people to read the book. That's it. If you just get people to read the book, they'll see. It's like people can see all the concept or whatever, and they can have their own preconceived notions. But after you read the book, it clicks. Because the book, something special happened. Even when I was writing it, it, I did not realize what was going to happen until I started the writing process. Very rare to to get this type of a reaction. This isn't a manufactured reaction. This is just exciting to see. It was just, you know, the process and all that. And the, the fact that we are here at this stage where we actually have the, the book uh, I mean, just uh, this entire arc still amazes me. And it is such an honor for me to be sitting here talking into this microphone after this whole time where we, where the writing was taking place and we were doing all those Jaws Obsession episodes. And now the book with the, with the book, with the formatting and the printing and then the shipping. And now we have everyone out there is, is finishing the book and writing reviews. And here I am telling you these reviews this is just an amazing process. It's so exciting. I hope you have as big of a smile as I have because this is just wonderful. Thank you, Robin, so much. What a great review. Thank you. We'll do one more here. So Jim from Connecticut writes in, Ryan, I just finished the book of Quint and wow, just wow, absolutely amazing. A book you can set on the shelf and be proud to have read and one you can reach to and read all over again. While you'll never forget the story, it's just like the movie, able to pick it up again and again and have the words jump off the page at you every single time. I felt like I was there, and those stories became my memories. The level of detail was amazing. You were absolutely right when you said you'll watch Jaws in a whole new understanding. All the subtext of Jaws is supported fully by the context of the Book of Quint and done masterfully and not oversaturated. I hope that you've truly caught the writing bug and are able to take time and enjoy these moments for yourself and with your family and friends, but also to return to the keys and pen another amazing book, no matter the storyline it will deliver. The Book of Quint is a success because of you. The story was always there, but you peered through the bottle and saw it clearly and were able to share that vision with us all. The way you invited us into the story is right there with how Nelson DeMille captures me. Be proud. You deserve it. I am proud to read this book first before most everyone else. I hope one day you do a book signing near me and I am able to shake your hand. So thank you and tell you a job well done. All, your, all the best, your friend, Jim. Wow. Now that is a review. Jim, thank you so much. That's just unbelievable. These are... These are reviews from Jaws fans. Uh, first, let's 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 unpack this. He zeroes in on it's a book that you can set on the shelf and be proud to have read, and one you can reach to and read all over again. So he's saying that the Book of Quint lends itself to multiple readings over and over again. Sometimes it's hard to see it with fresh eyes. 
So I let the book sit there and then I revisit it and I will open it up to a random page and just start reading and try to put myself into a mindset that I have never read this book before. How does it present itself to me? So I'm constantly critiquing it and critiquing it and looking at it. And uh, Jim is saying that he hopes that uh, I truly caught the writing bug and that I take these time, this time to enjoy these moments. And that's one of the things I probably have to work on more is that I haven't found time to sit back yet and enjoy the completion of the book because I really want to see everyone be able to get access to the book. And I kind of transitioned over to that ever since November. I've been in a, in a flux state where I'm shifting back and forth between am I a publisher, am I a book distributor, or am I an author, and, and, and then a broadcaster and going back and forth. And of course, I'm still a lineman working on power lines. That's never going to change. But that's the, the thing is, is that, yes, not only did I catch the writing bug, but there is, there is so much more to tell. I'm in a research phase right now. I would like to focus on that more. If we could just land this literary agent and a publisher, then we will be all set. This thing will be full speed ahead. Thank you so much. I wrote Jim back a, a long email. I, I, write, I try to write everybody back who writes to me, and I want to say thank you so much. One other thing that uh, Jim said... And uh, he said in uh, a second in his response, he said, I also, and I watched Jaws 2 the other night, and the light that you see that you see the mayor in now is so bright, I can't ignore his backstory. Now, that's what's amazing is that the book of Quint not only backs up Jaws, but it reaches all the way into Jaws 2. And if you read the book of Quint, and then watch Jaws 2, you see so much more nuance, so much more going on into Murray Hamilton's performance of Larry Vaughn. There's almost a guilt look, and he feels sorry for Martin Brody because he knows, and he knows that Quint died with the information. He knows that there is something else that happened, and Brody is not privy to that information. So, it's wonderful to see that whole arc play out and extend into Jaws 2. There's other details in Jaws 2 that I want to get to later on. It's very interesting because Jim is the first one that mentioned not only is Jaws different for him, but now Jaws 2 is different after reading the book of Quint. Thank you so much, Jim, for the great review. Great to read it here and share it with everybody on the Jaws Obsession. So let's move on. Let's move on with this episode into part two. Yeah, let's get down to the real reason we are here today, which is the John Williams effect. And did the composition and the score of the uh, four Jaws by John Williams dictate on what genre Jaws actually falls into? This idea for this episode came from when I went to Rochester, New York and appeared on Positive Blatherings with Scott Fitzgerald over at Rockvox Recording Studio. There was a segment in that interview, a listener of his show commented on how Jaws is too scary for her. Let's go to that segment. Let's listen to that part of the interview and we'll go from there. And you know, it's funny. I wish I could uh, find this comment. It was when I posted about the book. Mm -hmm. There was someone who mentioned that she's never seen Jaws. And this is someone who's maybe slightly older than me. And uh, so I'll be 50 in February. So oh, she says, movies that I will never watch, even if they are acclaimed. Jaws, 
The Shining, Rosemary's Baby, any and all scary slasher movies, The Exorcist, Chainsaw Massacre, it. You get it. I have enough horrifying nightmares already, and I'm a huge chicken. So now here's someone who totally doesn't get what the movie is and has has categorized it in, improperly. Yep. Like it's a slasher movie. Yeah, and that was the fault of that. That was where the backlash to the sharks came from was they made it into a monster shark movie. And I say this over and over again on the Jaws Obsession, that Jaws is a human movie with a monster shark in the background. Yeah. Tying all those humans together. It's not the other way around. And the sequels went, monster shark does this. How are we going to kill monster shark? How are characters going to respond to monster shark? No, you should have stayed with human, 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 and just had the sharks tie them in. And what I would stress to someone, and remember, we also used to, we in the 80s, we would always go to the video stores and we'd look at the, where was Jaws? Jaws was always over there inside the horror scary section. Yep. Right. And it was so it's not fair. You know, it was just like, no, there's so much going on there. I'm watching a guy have a moment with his son with the mimic of the movements right. at a dinner table. That's not that does. That's not Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. That's not Nightmare on Elm Street. That that goes over here in like the drama section. That's why it's PG. So my stress, I would talk to the ladies. I listen. Excuse me, ma'am. It's PG. And you've probably watched Braveheart. Right, right. I don't see you terrified over a guy with a, a battle axe through his skull. <laughs> so I think that you will uh, uh, indulge in the humanity of Jaws if you uh, if you give the if give the movie a chance. And that's what I would. Uh, it was just the marketing. That was from my appearance on Positive Blatherings with Scott Fitzgerald. If you want to watch that entire interview, that is over at his YouTube channel. I'll have a link for that in the description of this broadcast. And also, if you go on our JawsOB.com page. And you look in the notes section, I have a uh, write-up on that and the link to that full interview. Great interview, and it was a great time being on his show. So if anyone has not seen that yet, give that a watch because there's a lot more going on that's outside of the Jaws obsession that's happening with uh, that we're trying to do here. But one of the, that, that element right there that uh, one of the listeners said Jaws was too scary for her, she's never seen it because it's always in the horror section, it's always related over to scary movies. So what I want to do now is I want to break that down. And I do believe that Jaws has horror movie elements, but on its face, you can't just pigeonhole it into that genre. Let's look at what is a genre. Let's look at that first before we go any further. What is the definition of genre? So genre is from the American Heritage Dictionary, a category of artistic composition as in music or literature marked by a distinctive style, form, or content. It's a type or class. So what type genre, when we say genre, what type of movie does Jaws fit into? And many people always come with Jaws is a horror movie or it is a scary movie. And that is where I think that, and as you saw me uh, say over um, on the show with Scott Fitzgerald, that that was a chance for the marketing. They went, the marketing of Jaws obviously went to scaring people. And the, um, if you watch the early trailers uh, for Jaws, and of course, the opening to Jaws is very horrifying with the attack of Chrissy Watkins. And that's where people, uh, their first instincts are, the uh, the it goes right into scary movie. Now I believe that Jaws fits into three different categories: drama, action, adventure, and horror. That is where John Williams also saw Jaws as an action adventure film. He did not see it as a scary film. We're going to dissect that a little bit. But first, let's break down the elements of a horror movie and how does Jaws fit into that. 
because Jaws does fit into the elements of a horror movie. So let's go to that. What I have here, there's a channel on YouTube that I follow very closely. It's called Film Courage. And the host over there, Karen, she does a wonderful job in getting insiders from around the industry, the writers and screenwriters, mainly writers and screenwriters of both uh, that work in the movies or just writers of novels. She has great interviews with them and she's able to extract information out and talk about certain subjects where we don't normally hear them talked about. So if you are a fan of the Jaws obsession, go over to Film Courage uh, over at youtube.com and also you'll see, I will put a link for that channel in our show notes over at Jaws OB at Telegram as well as in the description of this broadcast. Over there, she she interviews uh, Brooks Elms, Mr. Elms is a screenwriter and independent filmmaker. He's written 25 screenplays. He goes into talking about the elements of a horror movie. So let's play uh, a, a segment from that interview here. Can you explain the three elements of creating a horror movie? Yeah, it's a great question. That comes from Blake Snyder's idea about the monster in the house. Because Blake has this really wonderful, elegant way of thinking about genre that's different than the way most people think about genre. When most people think about genre, they think of sci-fi or Western or horror or this or that or the other. And Blake was like, well, that doesn't really help you write a screenplay. What's a way of thinking about genre, a way of sort of unified elements that's going to keep you focused on what's ma what matters for you to um, create a screenplay with core elements that has like the tuning fork that sounds like wonderful expression of that genre. One of my favorites is that monster in, in the house genre. And, and that requires a monster of some sort, right? Um, but it need not be like supernatural. It could even be like a psychopath or, or you know, um, something terrible. Um, and then a house that's confined the protagonist so that it's, um, so that they can't get away, right? So that the monster is chasing them because if uh, there's no house, then there's no tension, right? The stakes are there because they can't get away from the monster because they're stuck in the house together. And then the most fascinating part about it is the sin. That's the third part. And the why is sin? And it's because um, monster, monster in the House movies are a morality tale of when, we, when you do something bad, bad things happen. So, uh, you know, the classic, um, you know, kids, teenagers go into the woods to have premarital sex, well, then the bad thing's going to happen. The slasher is going to come out and kill them, right? Um, but without that sin, they're just kind of, you know, two, a couple walking their dog by the woods and they get killed. It doesn't quite, doesn't quite hit us in that same way um, because we're all attracted to sin and we all sin to some degree or another. And so um, Monster in the House stories play on that vice, choice, and terrible response. And that's part of the titillation of great horror. So that, that right there is Brooks Elms, and he's describing how the monster in the house theory, um, where you have a monster, and then you have the confined space of a house, and he isolates into that, uh, that sin morality layer where that's where that's where great horror movies come from is that you, you will have those three elements that will uh, will conjure up the uh, terrifying aspect of a horror movie 
And one of, when I was listening to that, I thought of Nightmare on Elm Street. It's a horror movie that resume, resonates with many people. And and if you look at that, that it's that it's that sin morality layer that he talks about that usually stamps home and drives that into our subconscious. So the monster in Nightmare on Elm Street was obviously Freddy Krueger. And the house was obviously the, the, the dreams where you're isolated in dreams with this madman who's trying to kill these kids. But the trigger is later on in the film is when you learn, when they learn, it's revealed that the parents killed Freddy Krueger and now he's coming back to haunt their children. And that's the sin morality layer that drives that movie. And that's the, those are the three elements that make for the classic horror movie slasher film that comes into play. And what I found interesting as we continue on into this interview over at Film Courage, now he's going to bring up Jaws and how Jaws fits into this mold. So let's listen up. How does this relate to Jaws with the elements of a horror movie? He then said, if you look at a movie like Jaws, um, where the monster is the shark and the contained, the house is the is the island where, you know, the sort of the, the Amity Island, which was sort of like the Hamptons, but like, you know, this contained place. Um, and then the sin was that um, they knew the threat was there, but they didn't shut down the town or didn't keep people away from the beach because it was a tourist town and they needed the money or they wanted the money. The greed was the sin. That's such an interesting story and compelling in a different way than if it didn't have that element. So that's very interesting right there is that if you look at those three elements, Jaws would be the monster was obviously the shark, the house, the confined areas is Amity Island. And then you have that sin morality layer, which is they knew about the shark, but they kept it open anyways. And that's what drives, that's the intriguing part of where it drives the emotions and uh, it, it kind of embeds into our psyche uh, that we we're now we're, we're, we want to see what happens, that with these people, who's going to get their comeuppance type of uh, tale. And that perfectly describes the first part of Jaws. If anyone goes, to, goes back to episode 40, the Jaws secret, episode 40 of the Jaws obsession, I detailed about the Jaws secret, two uh, narrative arcs. And if you look at that first part, the, 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 these three elements that make up a horror movie end about, um, what, at about one hour and three minutes into the movie when Martin Brody closes that curtain in the hospital and he has Mayor Larry Vaughn, he gets him to sign the contract to hire Quint. When he opens that curtain up, he opens it up on the second part of Jaws. And what he has done is he's effectively ended the horror part of Jaws, the scary movie part of Jaws. Um, and I believe it goes into an action-adventure part with scary elements, of course, because you still have jump scares. But does anyone think Jurassic Park is a horror movie? You have scary sections of that, but Jurassic Park belongs in the action-adventure category. And that's where I think Jaws splits, and it actually becomes, it transitions from being a horror movie into the action-adventure category right when Martin Brody opens up that curtain in the hospital and introduces the second part of Jaws. 
Now, if anyone wants to hear more of the details on that, go back and listen to episode 40 called The Jaws Secret. So what we have here is it's generally seen that Jaws can be classified as a horror movie, but not the entire movie, okay? So we can't really say that it's a horror movie because it isn't. And even in that first part of Jaws, it's not really total scary movie elements. There's a lot of drama that happens. There's a lot of dramatic sequences. If you want to watch the full interview of that, go uh, with Brooks Elms over at Film Courage. You can follow the link below. But what a wonderful channel that is that they have over there. Always interesting topics talking about uh, the elements of writing and screenwriting and the mechanics of how these stories are presented presented to an audience. Very interesting stuff. So, so let's move on then. So now that we've seen that, I think we can actually, it's, it's safe to say now that, the, that Jaws, and it's commonly understood that Jaws has elements of a horror movie and it was always found in the horror section back when there were video rental stores. And even now, I think it's just misclassified. It's just, it, it's just, you can't, pigeonhole Jaws into just horror movie because we're going to go now into our notes here from John Williams and Steven Spielberg. Where do you think Jaws belongs if you were to go into a virtual video store? Where would you put Jaws? Would you put it in the drama, horror, or action adventure? Now, the greatest movie of all time, in my mind, transcends boundaries, transcends genres, transcends audience expectations. And that's why Jaws is one of those few where you, re you really do not know where it goes. And that's why, in order to dictate where that movie goes, look none other than the score by John Williams. And this is where the John Williams effect comes into play. Jaws, whatever genre Jaws falls on, depends on where the score takes you. John Williams dictates on which genre that the movie falls into with his score to Jaws. And that's what's amazing here. And so we're going to jump into some of the notes here, but we're also going to play some of the segments. And you're going to see, and let's see if we can actually paint a picture about how Jaws jumps genres. It actually jumps and transcends boundary genre boundaries, which is pretty amazing. That's why Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. I have right here, I have the score Jaws, the collector's edition soundtrack that was released back in the year 2000. This was the one with uh, 12 tracks containing previously unreleased music. So it was a collection. Uh, it was a, the collector's edition soundtrack uh, that John Williams uh, gave approval for that had unreleased music in it. But what is interesting about this is the liner notes. And I have the little sleeve here. And it has some uh, interesting words from both Steven Spielberg and John Williams. And that lets us zero in on exactly what we are trying to do here. Let's talk about this right here. I'm going to read from Steven Spielberg's words here from the liner notes, page seven of this little booklet that comes with the CD. Quote, John Williams and I had worked together on my first feature film, The Sugarland Express. I had always wanted to be in business with John Williams. And when he said yes to The Sugarland Express, uh, we became friends. Obviously, I wanted him to do every picture I made and Jaws came second. So Jaws would have been the second movie that Steven Spielberg worked on with John Williams. So let's continue with what Steven Spielberg's talking about here. He says... So Spielberg says, when, uh, quote, when I first showed Jaws to John, I remember he said, this is like a pirate movie. I think we need pirate music for this because there's something primal about it, but it's also fun and entertaining. I'm going to stop right there. So what we have is John Williams' first reaction to seeing Jaws 
without the music added in, okay, is that John Williams saw it as a pirate movie and it's also fun and entertaining, okay? So he did not see it as a horror movie. Remember that. That's a, that's a big, 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 uh, that, that's a big uh, piece to the puzzle here. And this is coming from Steven Spielberg. This is not some uh, third-party uh, writer. This is Spielberg's own words in the liner notes of this uh, Jaws soundtrack that was released in the year 2000. So Spielberg continues. He says, At one point, John previewed the main theme for Jaws on the piano. I expected to hear something weird yet still melodic. But what he played instead with two fingers on the lower keys was da-dun, da-dun, da-dun. At first I began to laugh and I thought John has a great sense of humor, but he was serious. That was the theme for Jaws. So he played it again and again, and suddenly it seemed right. Sometimes the best ideas are the most simple ones, and John had found a signature for the entire score. I always found that interesting. What was that? There's a there's a classical piece that um, that I remember hearing that uh, John Williams, that probably inspired John Williams. Let's see if we can play that piece right here. So I just think that's fascinating. So that's a, that's the classical composer Antonin Dvorak, who died in 1904, but that was from his Symphony Number no. 9. It's titled From the New World. So that's what's amazing is uh, what John, the, so these were some of the influences that affected uh, Mr. Williams. And then he was able to turn that around. And what he did was he was able to construct this entire. So that's wonderful how he was able to incorporate that. And then he went with these. What even Steven Spielberg, I don't think what he was realizing was John Williams was influenced from uh, classical compositions in order to isolate down on the two notes. Everyone always isolates down on the two notes, but there's something there's something much more intelligent happening there. He's actually getting into a, a guttural feeling. He's uh, making you feel uncomfortable. So he he he's taking that into the uh, scary movie elements with the attack on Chrissy Watkins here. What Spielberg says, what he isolated down, he said, sometimes the best ideas are the most simple ones, and John found a signature for the entire score. Uh, this element that resonated with so many people because everybody always brings up the Jaws, the da-dun-da-dun. That's the common theme that ties the uh, movie Jaws together, which is the shark. The shark is the common theme that binds all the human elements of Jaws together, which is very interesting. And even Spielberg continues on. He it, Jaws is not just a horror movie. That so many people tend to think that Jaws was a scary. That's a scary movie at the start, but that's not the way John Williams intended it. And even Spielberg continues on in these notes here. He continues on by saying, "Part of the genius of John Williams is not just that he is the greatest composer of film music since Max Steiner." But it is also how he spots music, how he places it in a movie. The art of film composition is the number. These are words by Steven Spielberg. Remember, quote, the art of film composition is the placement of that composition. For instance, in the case of Jaws, John did not want the music to celebrate a red herring. He wanted it to signal 
only the actual arrival of the shark. To this, to this day, I think that his score was clearly responsible for half the success of the film. Those are words by Steven Spielberg. So he's saying that John Williams, the way he spots the score throughout the movie, that, that, is, that he was clearly responsible for half the success of the film. It wasn't just those two notes. There's so much more that goes into the score of Jaws and the way he spots those, uh, that, that score. Because what happens is, is Jaws transcends the horror genre. John Williams does this by taking you from horror elements, from scary music, and then he brings you into melodic, dramatic music. And then he also delivers with, uh, with, with great adventure, high, uh, adventure on the high seas music. He goes back and forth. So I, I never liked how people always also said, going back to the Dvorak issue, I never liked how uh, there's, there's certain elements on YouTube are saying that John Williams ripped off or no, that is clearly not a plagiarism. That is nothing because everything has inspirations. Everything, when you do something creative, there's always inspirations. And some people can say, oh, you, that, that's a ripoff. It's not a ripoff if it's not a blatant copy. What it is is that it was that John Williams was clearly inspired by Dvorak to create this amazing score, this complex score that won him the Oscar for Jaws. So uh, so that's a flawed way of looking at this angle. The reason why I'm playing the Dvorak section uh, is, is to show the Jaws obsession, is to stamp home that there is so much more intelligence going on in the Jaws soundtrack by John Williams, that we that it just to label it as a simple horror movie is um, is is doing it an injustice. Now we're going to go into John Williams' actual words. Okay, so John Williams says that he says, uh, "quote When I first saw Jaws, it was clear to me that it would require an action adventure score." So John Williams has seen Jaws as an action adventure movie. The film was very different from the Sugarland Express. For Jaws, I imagined something big and operatic something very theatrical. Most of the discussions I had with Steven at this point were, were about the shark. The challenge was to find a way to characterize something that's underwater with music rather than with sound effects. These low thumping notes were the result. I thought that altering the speed and volume of the theme from very slow to very fast, from very soft to very loud would indicate the mindless attacks of the shark. Stephen was a bit skeptical, but when the orchestra performed the piece, it worked better than we had anticipated. Today at concerts, if I play, if I just play two notes of the Jaws theme, people immediately recognize it. I think it's wonderful when these kinds of musical associations are created and when they make an impression on an audience. Uh, John Williams continues on. He says, there were many opportunities in the movie to advertise the shark with music, but also others such as the scene with the, where kids have put on a fake fin to scare people where we don't have any music. Here the audience experiences a sense of absence because we've conditioned them to expect the predator only when they hear its theme. Then we go a step further for the scenes with the orca where we know the shark is there, but musically his attacks come out of silence to create further suspense. Uh, very interesting stuff. See, a lot of intelligence going on there that when you don't hear the ominous music, the theme, when you don't hear the dark music, then it's, there's, the shark is not there. Uh, he continues on. He says, Jaws had several 
other musical requirements, such as the montage for the arrival of the tourists on the island for the 4th of July, the action pieces taking place at sea with the orca, and the three heroes chasing the shark, a very dark composition for Quint's tale, the building of the cage, the climax, and finally the end titles music. So let's let's run through a couple of these. So yeah, so the, the, we go to the Alex Kittner attack sequence here, and you still hear this, you still hear the, uh, obviously we're still in horror movie, we're still in scary movie mode. Okay, so that's an example of where Jaws fits into the horror movie mode of the death of Alex Kittner. And as you saw, like, and, and also with the doc sequence, uh, the doc sequence where the doc gets pulled into the water, you also have the same theme going on. And that's why this first part of Jaws... Yes, you can actually say this is a horror movie. Sure, you can say that it's based in a scary realm because look at how the composition goes. Charlie, take my word for it. Don't look back. Swim, Charlie. Swim. It's just wonderful. It's just wonderful how that happens. But now, now we just go right past to 37 minutes. Uh, to the 38th minute in the movie. Listen to the score now. We have now Martin Brody at the dinner table sequence with Sean, with his son, Sean. So that's very interesting is that there's these moments where Jaws starts coming into its own and John Williams starts using the score. And this is where I believe is that Jaws, that Jaws goes into the dramatic role, drama. So this is a drama sequence. This is a, the, if in the drama section of uh, the movies is that this is where you would find a movie that would have a scene like this, a very touching scene with a father and son at the dinner table. Same with the score though. That's very good. It's a dramatic score. Then it goes back to, then it, then it Paul goes around, it goes back to one of my favorite sequences with Hooper underneath Ben Gardner's boat. All right, and it doesn't get any more creepier than this, right? So now we're, we're, we're back into horror movie mode, but we're still in that first hour. Remember, we're still in that first hour of the movie. All right, so that so that's what I'm... And I don't know how much I can play with this without getting uh, canceled. So we've already gone through... We've gone through uh, horror movie music, and we've gone to dramatic music, back to horror movie music... And now we're going to try to, we're going to now extend right into what John Williams describes as a classically styled piece for the arrival of the tourists on the island for the 4th of July. And we all know that as this is in, the, in this montage sequence. Okay, now I want to know how 
All right, no. So, so do you see what I'm saying? Clearly, not just a horror movie here. We're, there's something else going on. We can't say Jaws is the scariest movie of all time. Of course, it's not the scariest movie of all time. It shouldn't even be in a horror section with beautiful compositions like this. All right. So let's move, let's move on. He, he goes on in these notes here. John Williams says, quote, But my own favorite cue in Jaws has always been the barrel chase sequence, where the shark approaches the boat and the three heroes think they have captured it. The music accelerates and becomes very exciting and heroic. Suddenly, as the shark overpowers them and eventually escapes, the music deflates and ends with a little sea shanty called Spanish Lady. The score musically illustrates and punctuates all of this dramatic outline. That he's talking about is is the second part of Jaws when you go into after they hire Quint and after um, after they take off in the Orca. Even as they're leaving in the Orca, listen how it changes. So do you see how this this actually stamps home what John Williams initially said? What Spielberg said was he said that John Williams said um, when he first showed Jaws, when I first showed Jaws to John, I remember he said, quote, this is like a pirate movie. I think we need pirate music for this because there's something primal about it. So now as as you go into the part with the uh, the second half of Jaws, with the three heroes on the orca, now we're dealing with uh, we're dealing with something more of an action adventure film. So we've gone from horror movie to drama, back and forth between those two, and now we're into full action adventure. you to get up on the bridge just take a forward steady now one of my favorite segments in the movie is right here but that's clearly almost obviously though that's almost uh pre-indiana jones indiana jones music right there we are in full action adventure mode uh at john williams has taken us into action adventure mode in jaws at this point in the movie Hurry it up now, tie it on. Hurry it up, he's coming straight for us. Don't screw it up now. Don't wait for me. Now I could listen to this all day long, and I know that you could too, but we gotta let's continue on here. Uh one of the The barrel disappears below the water and the music dies down. But there it is. We're now in full action adventure mode thanks to John Williams taking us on these swings throughout this movie. I think that stamps stamps home is that 
the answer to the question is what genre does Jaws fit into? It actually fits into three genres, horror movie, drama, and action adventure. And it's dictated by the John Williams effect. The John Williams effect is not just the, not just the famous Jaws theme, but what John Williams does is he makes Jaws, his part in making Jaws the greatest movie of all time is that he transcends genre boundaries with his score, thus making Jaws something that no other movie can do. It can't be pigeonholed into a specific genre. That's why it's the greatest movie of all time. That's one of the reasons why it's the greatest movie of all time. Yeah, so if I also can branch off here and talk about the sequels. We talked earlier about Jaws 2 and how I consider Jaws 2 to be an acceptable sequel and uh, with for various other inf- for various other information that it presents to the Jaws universe. However, if we look at what John Williams did here with the Jaws score and taking us through this different range, th- this different range of genres, he did not do that because the material didn't allow him to do that in Jaws 2. And then furthermore, in Jaws 3 and 4, where John Williams was not involved, that 3 and 4 also did not go through the range of genres because the writing didn't allow that to happen. And that's what's lacking in the sequels going forward, is what was the magic that Jaws had that could not be replicated, is that it could not jump genres. And it just progressively just went to scary shark, scary movie genre, horror genre. It just went to jump scares. It did not jump around. Jaws 2 tried to, but it was missing the action action adventure. If you look at the equation that we were talking about before, the monster in the house theory, you had the uh, the monster, the island, and then, of course, there was the, the sin or morality layer. That was missing in Jaws 2. That sin and morality, morality layer is what was missing to make that a, 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 a verified, uh, powerful horror movie. If they wanted to go there, they had to create another element that would suit the morality layer that was in Jaws, which was they knew that it was that that the mayor aspect of Jaws brought that in to the first half of Jaws because we had that morality layer attached to it. Someone, they were hiding something they knew and uh, people were dying and how are they going to fix this? Well, that was missing in Jaws 2 and especially 3 and 4 those were, this wasn't, that, that wasn't even, the, the intelligence was not even there into the creation of those movies. They weren't even thinking on those lines. And that's why the degradation of the series, you could actually see that you could break that down in a mathematical equation because they started losing the elements that Jaws had. And they, if you don't replicate that, if you don't have those elements, if you don't hit those beats, you're not going to have that magic. So if we focus on that, we actually can see just how powerful the John Williams effect was to the movie Jaws and its success, as Steven Spielberg duly noted. And in many ways, and my final, some final thoughts here, is uh, what I was thinking about is that this, in many ways, this mimics life, okay? Jaws mimics life. From what my experiences in this life, life can be scary, it can be full of drama, and it can be a great adventure. And you never know, it could change from one day to the next. 
So Jaws does that for us. It takes us on a ride where, and it, and it jumps us around to where it scares us, it thrills us, and it gives us a stoic sense, especially with the end titles, which is one of my favorite compositions. And that's what's beautiful about Jaws is that we are taken for that roller coaster ride, which is pretty much what life is. That's why it's the greatest movie of all time. And that is the John Williams effect. That is what the John Williams effect is. And that's why when Steven Spielberg says, to this day, I think that his score was clearly responsible for half the success of the film. What Steven Spielberg is communicating there it's not just the scary theme of Jaws. It's the entire body of work that John Williams did we relate to. We experience Jaws as we experience our own lives, through the drama, through the horror, through the comedy, and then through the action and through the adventure of it all. That's what we see in it, but we can't really verbalize it. We can't really, we, 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 we just know it's there. And that's why we keep coming back and watching Jaws because it's that, different it's it's all those different elements put into one and that's why it's repeated viewing that's why we it never gets boring and that's why there's always room for another viewing of jaws that's what spielberg's talking about here it's not just the scary sections it's the entire body of work that's the john williams effect thank you so much for listening to jaws obsession episode 54 i hope you enjoyed this as much as i have thank you show me the way to go I'm tired, I wanna go to bed. And if anyone wants to read the book of Quint, there are 25 books left. 25 books left at the Crack Bean Roastery and Cafe. Just go to the link in the description of this broadcast to their merchandise section. She, uh, Michelle ships now worldwide she can ship the book anywhere you want so whoever wants to order a book um you can there's 25 left thank you very much to crack bean roastery for being the official coffee of the jaws obsession and for helping us out with the last of these books to be distributed The movie Jaws is copyrighted property by Universal Studios. Any references and sampling from the movie Jaws in this episode is intended to fall within section 107 of the Copyright Act. The copyrighted materials are fairly used for the purposes of criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, and research. The materials used here are protected by the fair use guidelines of section 107 of the Copyright Act, all rights reserved to the copyright owners. Just one more reminder, please follow the Book of Quint over at Instagram, at Book of Quint, at Book of Quint over at Instagram.com. You can subscribe, comment, share, and get those five-star ratings in on this podcast platform, on the podcast platform that you are listening to at this time. We are over at YouTube as well. You can also subscribe to us over there. Thank you very much to everyone listening and all the new listeners for making the Jaws Obsession. Now the top 3%, one of the top 3% podcasts in the world. I appreciate everyone's support. 
and everyone for your time and listening. Thank you very much. Until next week, farewell and adieu and show me the way to go home. Thank you.